Hey everyone, welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 232. This is Paul Siemens with you, and today we also have Andy Steiger. Present. Jeff Bucknam. Thank you for the baritone introduction. That was good. My pleasure. Would you call your voice a baritone? Is that a baritone, or are you more of a bass? Yeah. No, well, I can sing both, like if we're in a choir or something, but are you, probably you baritone be, normal. You want to be in a choir? I I've have been many times, and I enjoy singing. Do you? Yeah. Are you a choir? Wow. I do. I think I was in a choir once or twice in my life. Okay. But only because I was forced, mm. as, I, as every young boy usually feels. No, in, in at MEI, I was part of the, I, it might have been the first group of chamber singers. And we actually had to go to a performance once, and I had a solo singing uh, in the meadow. Uh, we can build a snowman. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What, can you I hear a little of this? Let's I, hear it. I'd like to hear a little of this. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm not going to laugh. No, 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 this is some serious stuff here. I don't think I should sing what this right so, now. Wait a minute. What is that song? In the meadow, we can build a snowman. What is that song? Uh, What's the, th- the name of that song? It's a Christmas song. Listening. Look it up now. Come on, Greg. You know the answer to that. Yeah, anyway, uh, whatever song that is, <laughs> we should all know this. Good grief. Walking in a Winter Wonderland. That's the answer, isn't it? Probably. Yeah. Here we are. Winter here Wonderland. Christmas carols, yep. Winter Wonderland. Thank you. Yep. So, yeah, as I was singing it, though, I go through the first line, in the meadow we could build a snowman, and then I just stopped. That was it? And, that then, was the- and then the, the choir director uh, just kind of had these big eyes staring at me and and everybody else is still humming in the background, and that was it. That was, <laughs> it was a nice omit, omission on my part. Nice. Now, we also have Greg Harris today. Hey. Can hi. you sing your next sermon? Hi. Could either of you, um, could Greg sing his next sermon? Greg, are you a singer? Should we? I also was in the Chamber Singers at Whoa, MEI. Wait a minute. The Chamber Singers? That's what yeah. Paul was just talking about. Where do you yeah. get the name Chamber Singers? I don't is know. Like a chamber is a small room, isn't it? Okay, but wait. It here's, is a chamber, I believe. Here, here's, here's my Chamber Singer story oh, while, we're, while we're on the topic. Let's Jonathan Giesbrecht, who oh, is also Johnny. on staff here, him and I were on this in the same choir. We were on a trip to somewhere. and Were he, you in the choir for the trips? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and he was supposed to sing the solo, but he wasn't able to because he was in auditions American, Canadian for Idol. Canadian right. Idol. No way. So he, he wasn't was. able to make it to the trip because he made it to the second round, I think it was, yeah. of Canadian Idol. So I got his what a solo. And, uh, and Jonathan, he, he came back. He, he, he is came such a preening peacock. <laughs> came back to the trip <laughs> midway through the trip. And we were all happy to see him, but we knew it meant that he didn't make it through to the next round. Was was that kind of like the elephant in the room? For Canadian Idol fans, he was on the same season as uh, Jacob Hogard and Shane Weeb, Weeb. but they made it further. Is that because they're more talented? Yeah. Also, that one guy actually went on to kind of be lead singer of a group or something, didn't he? Yeah. So I I enjoyed poking a little bit of fun when I was in high school. But Jonathan Giesbrecht didn't. And one time I saw Jacob Hogard and uh, Tim Hortons, and I was with some friends, and I said in a, in a fairly loud voice, hey, everyone, that's Shane Weeb. Nice. <laughs> oh, I love it. To which A little <laughs> Canadian Idol inside <laughs> joke. I love it. 
he didn't respond so positively. Really? He he didn't think it was funny for a, whatever a grade eleven, grade ten student to be making that kind of a that mm. kind of a joke. I, it was one of the highlights of my whole high school career, though, was getting that reaction from a okay. Canadian Idol celebrity. Where are the Canadian Idol people now? Jacob they- Hogard is still the lead singer of Headley, which oh I yeah, think Headley, they still, that's the band. I think they still do stuff. Shane Weep sings mm. at churches and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think he has a new Christmas album out. Does he? With his own scent, apparently. With his own scent? His own scent. The Weeb. The Weeb Christmas smell. <laughs> what? You're are kidding you talking me? about? <laughs> I'm not kidding. He has a cologne? Why are you laughing? What do you mean That's scent? It's funny. <clears throat> it's his musk. Who puts musk. out a scent with their... <laughs> it's his own musk. Who puts How? out a scent with their album? This is a joke. There is, is it no- actually a scent? <laughs> yes. Are you wearing it right now? No. Are you wearing Shane Weep? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shane's Shane a good we friend, actually, so Shane, I'm not going to mock him. We think he's a that great guy. A very talented guy. Hey, he if you have talented, a scent, no I appreciate Shane. Give us a bottle. No, yeah, actually, actually, we if, want the album and the bottle. If anybody's out there <laughs> who can get us a bottle of Shane Weeb, <laughs> we, we would, I would wear it. <laughs> We yeah. would. I would. Sure. Yeah. We'll okay. spray the whole podcast room full of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, well, uh, so we're going to get to some questions here. If you, as a listener, would like to send in questions, please send them to <laughs> extra at northview.org. So the first question for today is <laughs> someone who says this, uh, the AC does, doesn't need to be turned on in the sanctuary anymore. It's so cold. We're starting with a deep question, services. I see. Yeah. Why is it so cold? Well, you know, I think Jeff. they start putting the air conditioning on in the uh, worship center to moderate the temperature because there's a difference between an empty room and a room full of a thousand warm bodies. Hmm. And so if you don't stay ahead of it, so if you get there early and it's cold, if you don't stay ahead of it, you're not going to get ahead of it. Now, so isn't there is, is it not because you wear three layers when you preach, so the be- Well, no, the belief is that if you can get, if, if you come to church, it's, we'd rather have you a little bit cold because you can wear your coat or your, your sweater, uh, as opposed to uh, being so boiling hot, there's no way to get out of it, right? Which, right. Re- which reminds me of Ezra. It seems to me there's a difference between a normal room... And then a room with Ezra in it. Ezra loves loves a cold room. We actually have uh, the lights that are on him used to our LED lights now because we used to have the old ones. The old ones used to be really hot. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, that man would sweat. In fact, there was a great line he, after a Saturday night service. Once he went walking behind this the screen to to uh, what's called our green room around the back there that we we have some water and some other things in there, and he was turning the corner and I think he saw saw somebody. Mm. We knew, and his microphone was still on, and they hadn't shut it off in the back. And he said, "I'm so sweaty," <laughs> and it went over the loudspeakers in the in the auditorium, and everyone just started laughing. Yeah. You'll I'm notice so when sweaty. he preaches, he has a little sweat rag with oh, him. Oh yeah, he's got a dab. He's yeah. got a dab mm-hmm. his forehead and his uh, upper his lip. Upper lip. Yeah, and he's wiping. That. He is. Yeah. He is a sweat sweaty beast. That guy. <laughs> he preaches a sermon. Uh, he doesn't sweat like that. He's got to bring a normally. Shirt. No, he has to bring an extra shirt when he preaches. An extra. That is a true story. Undershirt. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry if Great. it's that way, but here's my, my advice. Just bring a uh, layers. Bring better, layers. Yeah, it's better too cold than too, cold, too hot, right? Well, you can regulate too your hot, own you gotta, temperature with your layers, but you can't. It's a little I'm, harder to take layers off at no, church. No, and I don't want to put them on. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to see your bathing suit. No. Please, no. 
Well, no, because if you're hot, Greg's looking at me because that I'm weird for saying that. But if it was too hot, right, and you started to delayer, maybe you'd wear your swim trunks there. By the way, where's no, the you word trunk? No, come I don't from? think we would. No, I really don't think you would. Trunk? Good it's question. An odd, odd name, trunk. Mm-hmm. Hmm. If you have a bottle of Shane Weeb scent and you know the <laughs> definition of <laughs> why they're called swim trunks, we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, on to the first deep, more serious question. Uh, somebody having a question out of Galatians 5, uh, verses 19, 19 through 21. So if somebody wants to pull that up, then uh, as you're looking it up, I'll ask this question. If the Christian lives with continual sexual immorality, or maybe even fits of rage or other sins, will they inherit the kingdom of God? Because it seems very hard to stop. So let me read the text here. They're, they're citing verse 19 to 21, so I'll read that first. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the question is, Mm -hmm. is he serious? Right. Uh, And my answer is yes. However, however, Mm -hmm. uh, if you read the wider context here and you go to verse 16, Mm -hmm. okay, so here's, here's Paul's kind of main, main point in this section. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a guarantee. So ones who walk by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he explains what he means. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now... You should understand that if the guarantee is in verse 16, that you should walk by the Spirit, that you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, the reason for the guarantee is supposed to support the point, and that that would mean that the things that you really want to do are the desires of the flesh. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to do the desires of the flesh. How how do you avoid doing the desires of the flesh? Well, you you walk by the Spirit. And then he follows that on. By showing, okay, now the works of the flesh are evident, and then he gives that list, sexual immorality, purity, sensuality, all, all those things. And as I warned you before, verse 21, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So yes, somebody who continues to live in the flesh, right, and evidences the, not the Spirit's work in their life, but the flesh. And, and at this point, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about that the, the observable pattern of your life in an unrepentant set setting, right? So mm. like you, you, you continue to, you know, exhibit idolatry, <laughs> sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, and you're unrepentant about these matters, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the sign that you are one of the Spirit, the Spirit is active in you, is verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against th- such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he's saying that there is some so- sort of observable fruit. In the, think about that language, right? The fruit of a tree. There's an observable mm-hmm. fruit in the mm-hmm. life of those people who are truly Christ. So you should right. be able to look at the life of a person and say, yeah, that the pattern of their life is uh, observably spirit-ish, not flesh-ish. 
one of the ways I think you right. can look at this is is the life of a Christian is in constant course correction, right? Because right. we we will we we have our moments, right, where we get our sights off of Christ and is onto worldly things, and, yep. and it's a it's a constant course correction, putting our our attention back on Christ. I think the fear is that people will read this and they'll think to themselves that this is uh, uh, that, that that anytime I show sexual immorality or sensuality, for example, or dissensions. Anytime I show that, that's evidence I'm not a Christian. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He, he's saying that the there is you can get it by the language of walk by the Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That there is a pattern of life that should be evidenced in you. If the pattern of your life is constant orgies, that's one of the words there, yes, there is significant question as to whether or not you are one of Christ's, right? Right. But if there is a pattern of life of joy, peace, patience... We would say, yes, you give evidence that the Spirit is active in your life. It's not the only, by the way, it's not the only evidence that for spiritual life. There's, lot, there's other things. I mean, James is going to get into stuff and talk about the way you treat the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's not the only one. Maybe we should say something about what it means to be led by the Spirit. Well, here it says, walk, walk by the Spirit. So if you so, want to talk about that, that language in Galatians 5. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was the, looking the, at verse walk, 18. Oh, sorry. That's okay. The, the walk of, um, or one of my professors at seminary said that the walk of the Christian, now this is based on Martin Luther's first uh, point in his 95 Theses, that all of a Christian's life is repentance. So the, mm-hmm. the walk of a Christian Course is correction. Every, every step is repent, and then the next step is believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. And that's, mm-hmm. if you think of their walk as your, each step you're taking, you're doing uh, you're repenting and you're believing in Christ. It's so um, often when we think of becoming a Christian, we think of, oh, well, you, you know, when I was a kid, I prayed the prayer. And Ezra even referenced this in his sermon over the weekend. Now, that doesn't make us a Christian, but what makes us a Christian is repenting and believing, a, not, a way, not just praying and receiving. A way to put this, and, and Paul talks, talks about this a lot, is that we're, we're idol worshipers. Right. And this is what we do by nature. We constantly want to worship created things rather than the Creator. And so this idea of repentance is about continually turning away from your idol worship and putting your attention back on the Creator rather than the created. Mm. So I would, Andy, Andy, to answer your question before, I would equate the language of walk with the language of led here. So walking by the Spirit is the same as being led by the Spirit. Um, and he, I think he explains it <clears throat> in, the, in the verse after for the, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit against the flesh, they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there is a battle waging within the Christian, and the only way that, that he or she is going to be able to follow Jesus in purity and exhibit the fruit of the spirit is if they walk by the spirit or to the language in other places, to keep in step with the spirit, that mm-hmm. to, to submit to the will of God and to willingly walk along that that kind of moral path. It wouldn't be one of the ways that we could put this I think is is this idea of trust that it's this walking in step and this idea that you are trusting in the spirit of God that leading you uh, to to lead you. Yeah, I mean I, I want to be as is close to the text as, as, as I can. I, I actually, what he's saying is that he's saying, look, if you're walking by the Spirit, it means you're going to give evidence of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The Spirit's going to bear the fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit, right? Mm-hmm. But that should be evident in your life. And you can say that the works of the flesh are 
are evident. So he, I mean, I think here he's trying to say that don't don't do these things, do these things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know if there's something massively mystical here. It is, I mean, I know we're using language like walk by the Spirit. How, how does one do that? And I think that the, the idea is that you submit yourself to the will of God and mm-hmm. to the Word of God and trust Him. And so there's lots of ways we could talk about how, how that looks, how do you fight temptation, that kind of thing. But I think the point of this text is basically that you can follow Jesus, right? You don't have to gratify the desires of the flesh. You don't have to. These things are in opposition with one another, and the Spirit can win. Right, you can submit to the mm-hmm. will of God in those things, mm-hmm. and true Christians are those who do those who who do submit to the will of God in these mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the passage is emphasizing when it comes to being led by the Spirit, the you'll know you're being led by the Spirit because the characteristics of your life are are matching what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit, and so it's less for those of us who are listening to it who hear that phrase "led by the Spirit" and want to immediately put that into the realm of, you know, decision-making over every little thing. And how do I know if I'm being led by the Spirit in, in this decision I make or that decision I make? Where Paul's talking about in Galatians 5 is about our, our moral characteristics that right. we possess now, as he's Christians. Not, he's not talking about how you, whether or not you're going to go to this college or that. These, this, these are non-moral right. issues. This right. is a, these are moral issues. I do have a question. How would mm-hmm. you counsel somebody, you guys, <clears throat> how would you counsel somebody who came in, though, and was saying that, Man, I look at my life, and I, I do see things like uh, dissensions and divisions and rivalries and fits of anger, and I'm really jealous. Mm. These things are, are, are constantly there, and yet this passage is saying that I'm not, like, I'm not evidencing those things. Am I not a Christian? Because I think that's the impulse of the question. Mm-hmm. How are you going to counsel that person? Are you going to tell them, no, you're not a Christian? No. No, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them more about what's going on in their heart with like when they're and, and try to get them to flesh that out a little more um, so to speak so uh and then what no what, pun intended there yeah. right let's, let's hope right. not <laughs> i don't think they should flesh it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> but totally yeah Good. but as they and then as they're ex- explaining you know finding out what they're doing like what what do they think repentance is what do they mm. think uh See, what do I they think, think christ's work has done for them do they do they understand things like doctrine of adoption and assurance and, and things so like that? So the problem that might be existing in them is that they don't know who they are. Right, yes. R- right. Good so, way to put it. So that might be, you might be a Christian, you just don't know who you are. You don't recognize mm-hmm. that the Spirit actually, as, as the active power inside of you, has given you a guarantee, at least in this text, mm-hmm. of success and victory. Well, let me put it like this. Though. this is, the... is that the only view? Yeah, anyway, go ahead. Well, here's what would concern me to get back with what you're saying mm-hmm. is if you have somebody who is living in idolatry or sorcery or enmity or drunkenness orgies and they're not repenting and that they believe that this is in step with the spirit and that and, and they they have no intentions of change of course correcting if you will or right that this that I, to me I see this is the the challenge of the passage is is are you living a life that is seeking to repent and turn away from those things and to stop doing those things, or are you okay with doing those things? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I would add on to that, saying that the <clears throat> you'd say somebody who doesn't do that is who doesn't repent and isn't willing to is not a Christian. They're not a Christian. And the person right. who who is who is self reflective as they read this and see in themselves the characteristics of the flesh, they. That's an evidence of 
the Spirit's convicting work in them. That's right. The question is now, what do they want to do? Do they want to continue to do the, the flesh characteristics, or are they desperately wanting their life to look like the being led by the Spirit characteristics? Right. So there's so this that, battle taking place. That's where them. the rubber hits the road in my mind is saying, okay, you're you're self-reflective enough, the Spirit's convicted you of the areas you need growth in, so now what do you want to do? And yeah. that, that's the part of sanctification, right? Is you, The longer, I, I am convinced, the longer you're a Christian, the more you're going to look like Christ, right? I mean, you're not going to become a Christian, all of a sudden you're going to have all those things down, but as a Christian, you're constantly seeking towards those things as, as you're being led by the Spirit. Yeah. I'm going to recommend a book at this point. It's very accessible, meaning that it's easy to read, and I, I actually, a few years ago, found it really helpful. I pass it out to people who have questions along mm. these lines quite mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. It's called, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? What the Bible Says About Assurance of Salvation. Mm. It was written in the mid-90s by a guy named Donald Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y. If you Google that or you go to Amazon or your favorite book site on the mm-hmm. internet, you can find uh, Donald Whitney's book, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? And it'll be real helpful for you to think through some of these issues that we're talking about and how they, what the interplay is between faith and works, what kind of evidences there'd be in the life of somebody who's a Christian. Whitney right. does a great job by mm. rooting all of this. And the, the, the chief way we know mm. we're a Christian is our answer to the question, do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Wow. Right? Died mm. for, died for our, our, our justification and raised to, to new life, right? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so on to our next, our next question. Um, back to kind of one that's a little lighter again. Uh, what are some of your funniest moments uh, in preaching or uh, uh, communion or that kind of thing? If you can share them or not. Well, there's a lot that we can't share because they were funny because they were mis- misstatements that had double ended up becoming double entendres, and we didn't mean right. them that way ever. Mm-hmm. And that's why people laugh at them because a preacher shouldn't be saying that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of really stupid things that you say. Just you know, with many right. words come many errors. Thank you. Right. Thankfully, mm-hmm. some of them have not been recorded. Right, Greg. I I am thankful that sometimes the Sunday night gathering doesn't get recorded mm-hmm. because of a sermon I preached about a year and a bit ago. There's only a handful of people who would know. The error in which I made, and right now, if they're listening to the podcast, they are probably giggling to themselves yeah. <laughs> in memory, but I will not repeat it. So, uh, let's throw Ezra under the bus. Ezra, yeah. are you okay with that, Ezra? Yeah. Oh, yes. yes, I am. Okay. We're so, all trying. A number of years ago, Ezra was actually, he was, uh, he was uh, the young adults pastor at Willingdon Church in Burnaby, and uh, he was leading communion at their young adults gathering. And Ezra is from a part of the world where some of the some of the the little, little colloquialisms that we have would not be understood. So he was leading communion. They had a loaf of bread there, and they had some cups. And he wanted the people to come forward, and they were going to take a little piece of the bread and then go back and sit down. And so he said, "When you come, when you come, it was a real quiet time." And you know, at the end of his sermon, he said, "I preached a great sermon." He was so proud of his own sermon. And he got to the end of this sermon, and it's just totally quiet in the room. And the young adults are really just quietly contemplating what it is that Jesus has done for them. So Ezra said, "When when you come forward, and you and you and you." to take the, the communion. You come up and you just, I want you to pinch a loaf right here, just to pinch a loaf and go back and sit down. <laughs> and he kept repeating it over again. Now, to take the cup and then, but before you do that, pinch a loaf, 
right here, right here in front of the thing. And the people are trying their hardest not to laugh their heads off about what that means. And he, they finally start giggling. And he's like, what? What did I say? What did I say? And finally somebody explained to him what, what pinch a loaf means in our particular part of the world. That's one of the better ones I've heard from somebody mistakes. So if you see Ezra ask, and he's doing communion, you should ask him if he wants you, want, want you to pinch the loaf there. Yeah. I dropped a communion wafer on the ground once. Oh. And uh, I didn't know what to do at all because I was like, uh, I mean, quickly in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I'm not, we're not Catholic, so <laughs> we don't believe that that is the actual body of Jesus. Right. What do you do? Do you go get another one? What do you use a five second roll? It's in there. <laughs> so I picked it up and I said, I praise God Luther was right. You know, like, <laughs> that, that we're not Catholic anymore. So I, I've done a few communion errors before. Mm-hmm. I had a guy once raise his hand during one of my sermons to like ask a question. Have you ever had that? He's like, yeah, I I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be taking questions afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people yell at me in the middle of sermons. Yeah, heckle. Yep. Oh, I've, I've like been that. heckled. That's good fun. I, it was funny for me. I, I just made a comment just offhand about mm-hmm. how people believe that uh, life was seeded on earth by aliens. So it was, it was just like this off comment as I was preaching. Mm-hmm. And this one guy was just furious with me for saying it. <laughs> and he just couldn't help himself. And he, he so he, like he just started yelling at me. Those and, are, uh, that's good fun when they, oh, someone starts yelling at you. You're not, I mean, it's hard to know what to do. It is. And it's no big deal. I mean, people oftentimes will have uh, that, that kind of thing. You just try to say, oh, we can talk about it later. <laughs> Alone, just let me continue on here and, and, you know, set that aside for a minute and we'll try to try to finish uh i've had people yeah full full blooded like want to there was one guy once actually when i was teaching at yeah our young adults group here at northview who uh in the middle of my sermon came running literally running down the aisle down the corner i thought he was going to kill me Mm. uh and um i found out later that he was high on cocaine he just gone in the bathroom and done a couple lines of cocaine and came running out and he came up, and but it was funny in front of everyone. He's like, "You, you tell me how this matters in my life. I, I need to know." Like he started screaming. I was like, "Um, I kind of, I'll get there. I'm gonna get." <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> now I think for for myself, I think one time when I was preaching um, at one church, uh, it's kind of a theater setting, and um, and so the preacher preaches at the bottom of the theater mm-hmm. on the on the flat part. And then the seating's all up in front of you. But, I've done that before. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but there, the way the entrance is, the entrance is to your left, and the mm-hmm. people have to sometimes walk in front of you. Mm-hmm. So this guy, I was about halfway through the sermon, and this guy kind of comes wandering in, and and he looked like he was lost, and he was just oh. kind of he's looking around at people, <laughs> and he looks at me, and he just stops right in front of me as I'm preaching, and he looks at me, and he's like. Have you seen Billy? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, hi, uh, uh, welcome here. And uh, no, I haven't. Maybe I don't know. Has anybody seen like, Billy? And, and I, said, I said, well, if you take a seat, we can help you find him later. Okay. And he just goes and sits down and continue on. <laughs> yeah, it is hard when you have people who it's are who are yes yeah, standing up, or you when someone stands up in the everybody else who's looking at you doesn't doesn't see how distracted they have become by mm. a particular person. Mm. But yeah, somebody will stand up in the corner or whatever and everyone's looking and you, you're kind of like, 
Hey, whoa, I'm over here. Wait, <laughs> I, right. know, I know he's just walking out. It's okay. You almost yeah. want to say it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. He probably has to go to the bathroom. He'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one of our preaching profs said if, if something happens during a service that's really distracting and everybody, like there's a bang or a, mm-hmm. somebody drops a cup and it breaks or, or there's a baby just crying like really loud and, and, uh, and nobody can concentrate. He, he said it's best just to actually acknowledge what's happening just for the second because yeah. you've lost everybody anyway. Yeah. And then when, and after you've done that, then you come back to the sermon and right, everybody's back with going. you. Yeah. But, That's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. So. Now you should ask us privately some of the stuff and uh, you could, there are, there are lots sure, of stories. Yeah. Lots of stories. <laughs> I'm quite happy to share my story privately. Not on air. <laughs> Fair enough. So on to one more here. We've got, um, somebody wrote in and they said this, what is your response to Christian family and friends who tell you that you believe in an unloving, uncharitable God because you think Calvinism most accurately describes the gospel? How does a Calvinist answer to the objection that God's picking of individuals to be saved is unfair? Um, first, let me just say, and I say this all the time, I don't love, to, I don't love the labels that we use right. to talk about these issues. And so, because so, lots of people have different opinions about what a Calvinist or an Arminian is, mm-hmm. and they might have a really bad experience with someone who's an Arminian. And now, because of their bad experience, the Arminian and the Arminian position is bad. That's really bad reasoning. Like, you know, Arminianism should rise and fall on its own merits, and Calvinism too. And a lot of people don't really have uh, the time or energy to chase down exactly what the tenets of these things are. They are shorthand so in theological di- dialogue that can be helpful. So let, let's just, I just want, let's avoid the labels for a minute. I do think, though, that one of the chief crit- criticisms of, uh, of u- the viewpoint that says that God elects people for salvation uh, based purely, everyone believes that God elects people for salvation, but mm-hmm. that God elects people for salvation purely on his own will, okay, mm-hmm. as opposed to something that he sees in the person, like, like a faith response in advance, which is the Armenian position, okay? I think that that viewpoint is often uh, caricatured as being making God uh, un- unloving and hateful because he is sending people, sending people to hell is that the is that the mm-hmm. that's what the question is? Yeah, yeah. How is it fair for God to pick certain individuals and not others? Right. Mm-hmm. So Paul answers this question in Romans nine, and his answer to the question is ultimately by comparing um, Moses and Israel, or sorry, Moses and Israel and, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And his argument is that both of them deserve judgment, but God chooses to forgive and show mercy to the Israelites. And so the language of fairness there uh, is actually his answer to the question, Paul's asked the question, is God just in doing this? And, and his response is, well, yeah, God is, God is just, uh, actually God is kind of unjust in it. Let me, let me start again. Sure. So the question is, is God just by selecting some and leaving others? And Paul's response to that is, well, let, let's think about Israel and let's think about the, the Pharaoh and Egypt. Uh, what did both of them deserve? When, when, it, when Israel burned uh, you know, incense and danced around the golden calf, what do they deserve? And the answer is judgment. And Pharaoh, what did he deserve when he was 
worshiping when when you know the ten plagues happened, and he said, "Who is this God that I should obey him? What did he deserve?" Well, judgment. Both both of them deserve judgment. And so, Paul's point here then is he says, "But God has mercy on whom He has mercy, and shows compassion on whom He has compassion." That God is not obligated to show mercy or compassion on on anyone. So, for God to choose to show it on some is only unjust to the benefit of the sum. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's a, it, it, you could probably call it unjust, but only unjust to your benefit. Mm. Did, True justice would demand him to judge everybody. Right. That's Paul's answer to the question. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say, though, that God's justice demands that he show justice? Maybe I, misunder- maybe I misheard you. You said that God doesn't need to show mercy or justice? No, he would need to show justice. That what's the just thing for God to do in the situation where you have these two parties, Israel and uh, Egypt? What is what does justice require? And the answer is, it requires him to to uh, destroy both of them. But one of them is destroyed, and the other is not. And the and Paul makes the point in that text by saying. Uh, I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. But the the critique then is, well, God's being unfair. And the answer is no, he's not being unfair. He's 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 actually the only unfairness in God is to your benefit. That actual fairness would demand him to judge everyone. He he doesn't have to choose anyone, and so when he does choose some, it's not unfairness for him not to choose the others. They're still getting what they deserve. That's the argument Paul's making. Augustine picks up this argument as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and makes it. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm saying is that the idea that God is obligated to everyone equally starts from the wrong premise. And the premise is that everyone's a good person, done all these good things, mm-hmm. therefore for God to pick some of them and not the others, that's really mean to him. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, Paul's saying, no, everyone's wicked sinner and they all deserve God's justice, but they some 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 receive that, and others receive mercy. Right, yeah. Which does not make him unjust. Of course, no. the follow-on question in Romans nine there is, but why does he still find fault? Who resists his will? I mean, you're basically saying God is sovereign, to do what He wants, mm-hmm. and who resists his will? And Paul's response is, "Well, who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God?" Right. In other words, here you are in the position of, of passing moral mm-hmm. judgments on God, and he's sort of saying to, to you, are you, really, are you really qualified to make that moral judgment? Are you? Are you? And the answer, the answer, of course, is no, you're not qualified. So who are you, O oh man, to talk back to him? Shall, what is, shall the potter say to the one who made it, you know, why did you make me like this? So you might not be happy with those answers. The, I, I'm only giving them because they're biblical. I, mean, I don't want to get into the... I mean, there's lots of theology we could talk about here, but ultimately I, I, the biblical answer that Paul gives to the, that very question is found in Romans chapter 9. Mm. Right. No, I agree. So to answer the question about how do you... Yeah, how do you, um, how do you respond to friends and family? I, how, what would be a... Like well, I think a, one of the first things you're going to want to do is... is First of all, try not to just defend a label to defend a label mm-hmm. to to be try to get past that point and just actually start looking at texts. Yes. And just asking if they're if they're if you're all Christians around the room and you all agree that the Bible is true and authoritative, then mm-hmm. then to 
to have the conversation about actual texts that talk about this. This just, is the problem with this discuss, with this debate. Quite honestly, is that it get it it devolves quite way too quickly into caricature, mm-hmm. and it gets further and further away from the Bible. Um, I don't I don't personally care if Calvinism or Arminianism or Molinism. I don't they don't I don't care if any of them are are true in a theological sense apart from the scriptures that support them. Right. So I would rather just let's look at the Bible. I know a lot of people want a book that they can read that yeah. summarizes the doctrines. Those can be helpful, right? But they're only helpful in so much as they quote Bible, the quote Bible and explain the passages of scripture. Mm-hmm. Right? So and there are there are good books on both sides that will try to interact with with the different texts that have to do with this. But you should put the texts in front of you, and you should study them. And Romans nine is not just the only one. First Timothy two four is going to say something mm. that God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge yeah. of the truth. So you have to come to some sort of conclusions about what that means and how that these things can be held in tension or if they work together mm-hmm. or. Or whatever, but we stick to what the scriptures teach. Unfortunately, the reason that people get so angry about this or think that it's such a horrible idea is that they haven't actually read their Bibles. And so when they come to a passage of scripture like Matthew 11, where Jesus says, I hide it from the wise and learned and reveal it to little children, and such was your gracious will, O Father. They're like, He said, What? Mm-hmm. Uh, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what he's in. Paul says, What? In Romans 9, surely that's not true. Well, you should study Romans 9. Romans 8, that precedes it. You should look at Ephesians chapter 1, Proverbs 21 1, right? Mm-hmm. There are lots of different texts in the scriptures. The, the, um, Daniel 4 and the verses that talk about where Nebuchadnezzar is declaring the sovereign acts of God, right? I, these things are all part of. The Bible, you can read about them. You can actually study each one one of them. But so, we, but before we make massive judgments about what's right or wrong, let's at least do the 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 legwork ahead of time. And that's usually what I try to do with people: is try to encourage them to just read and study the text themselves. You come to a different conclusion than I am. That I have, then that's that's fine. At the at the end of the day, at least you've done the legwork and you've you come to some conclusions based upon your biblical study, as opposed to mm-hmm. you thinking through some other approach. Right. Yeah. So that's that's my encouragement to people. Great, that's a good word, Jeff. Thanks. Any last word from anybody? Here? No. Four. Four? Well, I just thought that would be a good word to Four. to have at the end. Jeff wants to go golfing. All right, guys. Uh rest of you listeners out there, have a great week and uh we will see you soon. <laughs>